2,000 years ago, on a fateful night in the small town of Bethlehem, an event happened that changed the world. And that's not an overstatement. It changed everything, including our calendars. So what happened? I'm not talking about the details, the inn, the manger, the wise men. We all know or have at least heard some version of the events that took place. My question is, what actually happened? This season is about that question. Our story takes place in a distant land a long time ago, and yet it was a time that was not so different than today. A politically polarized people group sat unsettled, pondering their future, desperately searching for some peace. And peace is exactly what they got, just not quite in the form they were expecting. And so our story begins with the people of God watching, waiting, and tending their flock at night. The grass bends suddenly under the weight of the weathered staff. The old shepherd groans under the strain of movement, but sighs when he finally reaches his favorite spot in the whole pasture. A solitary rock raised as a gray lookout in the middle of a green hill. He smiles at the familiar sights as he sits. His young grandson moves erratically around the pasture. His gestures are too loose and uncoordinated. His voice and commands too harsh and exacting for the task at hand. The old shepherd squints warmly out at the young man as he works. Lead with love and they will follow. The words slip out under his breath. He knows that to say it louder would not do any good. Such lessons must be learned through experience. The boy would have to learn on his own. The boy doggedly wrangles the last sheep into place and stumbles, exhausted, over to the rock. He collapses onto the rock in frustration. Both shepherds gaze up at the sky. Night was already approaching. Stars appeared dreamlike in the darkening sky. The grandfather looked out over the hills in the fading light. In the distance, Bethlehem shimmers as the sheep graze gently on the grass. Bethlehem. A small provincial town, tucked away in the corners of Israel, of little importance. But it means so much to him, so much life and work, sweat and blood, loss and pain. A long time to spend in one place. The young man's breath comes ragged, pulsing against the old man's thoughts. He looks down at his grandson and nudges him. The boy props himself up on his elbows and looks up at his grandfather. <laughs> Record time, the old man said with a chuckle. His grandson smiles knowingly. He knew that he was still learning, but he liked hearing his grandfather's lessons anyway. A thoughtful look passed over his face. Papa? Yes, my boy? The old man's eyes were drawn back to the coming night sky. The young man tightened into cautious thought. The grandfather knew that a question would soon follow. Have you ever heard from God? Papa sighed, mindful of what was really behind the question. He thinks of all the days he has prayed and waited, all the days seeking the presence of the Lord. He can only shake his head. Oh, well, the boy says, disappointed. Then he perks up. What about father? Has he? 
The old man can see the need of reassurance on his grandson's face. His heart aches for the young boy. He knows the boy is zealous and anxious. But he will have to learn the same lessons we all have. To wait. No, my son. Many generations have come and gone since the prophets of old walked with God. God has not spoken to his people in many years. The confusion and doubt coalesced into anger on the young man's lowered head. The disappointment was tangible. He knew of his grandson's desire for Israel to regain its glory, to be like the kingdom of old. He had heard the secret rebellious talks with the other young men, the zealots, a dangerous group. Well, he says tersely, do you think God will ever speak again? Despite his grandson's harsh words, the old man can't help but feel the furor and promise of his youth return. His eyes sparkle, stars in the wrinkled constellation of his face. It is only in the darkest moments that the light can shine brightest. Welcome to Stories in Scripture, a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible one piece at a time. This season, join us as we explore a familiar story through those who experienced it firsthand and learned the true meaning of the birth of Jesus. This is a Christmas story. Zechariah stares as he absently runs his fingers over the etchings in the stone, worn smooth by centuries of ritual and chants. The smoke from the incense swirls lazily inside the temple, its sticky, bitter smell clinging to everything. The low hum of offered prayer echoes and surrounds those present. They are asking God to hear them. Zechariah had lived in the temple a long time. He had heard the prayers, performed the sacrifices. He had seen and heard much. But what he had not heard was what his heart most desired. He had not heard the voice of God. He was desperate to hear God speak. Like the prophets of old, all men who heard the voice of God. He listed the name silently, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, his namesake, Zechariah, the one who heard and spoke for God during the days of Haggai. The Israelites exiled in Babylon, a voice calling them to rebuild the very temple which Zechariah today served so faithfully. The stones echo as they tumble on the floor. Zechariah inhales sharply. It it can't be. This almost never happens. I've waited so long for this. The lot had fallen to Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, which means it was his job to tend to the temple. In those days, there were 24 groups or division of priests, and they all took turns being on duty in the temple for a week at a time. So during your week, your team was in charge of all the daily chores around the temple. And how did they decide who would do what? Simple, they cast lots. Think rock, paper, scissors, but before scissors were a thing, it was more or less a system for leaving decisions up to chance, or in their minds, allowing God to decide. Like a parent, or Pam from the office, creating a wheel of chores to spin every morning. Casting lots eliminated any room for favoritism. 
Now, there is one chore that was desired above all the rest, and it's the one Zechariah just got. Getting to be the one to enter the holy place, to burn incense and pray was a huge honor reserved for priests. In fact, go read what happened to King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26 when he tries to take this job from the priests. I mean, kings could do whatever they wanted in those days, except this. It doesn't go well for him. So this is a big moment for Zechariah. Really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but no amount of training could prepare him for what happened next. Zechariah carries the incense to the golden altar. Around him, the other priests begin to enter into prayer and psalm. He crosses the threshold of the inner temple, the ornateness of God's house flooding his vision. Zechariah can't help but feel the weight of joy and anticipation of his duty. His face glows with the proud passion of holy work. The burning of the incense was the height of the morning. The priest often said this was the time God loved most. He stands before the altar and begins to mix the incense solemnly. The mortar striking into the pestle sends the sticky sweet aroma into the air. Zechariah breathes them deep into his lungs. His whole life has been dedicated to the service of the Lord. He wanted nothing more than to get as much as he can into his whole being, his body, his mind, his spirit. But all that was a poor substitute from what he really wanted, to talk to God. A sudden rush of wind almost ruined the carefully measured movements of grinding the incense of God. Annoyed, Zechariah turned rapidly around to scold whoever would disturb this sacred moment. The gilt bowl clanged as it hit the marble floor. Zechariah's heart stopped in his chest. His mouth hangs open, stunned in terror. He cannot move. He becomes like one of the many fixtures of the temple. Fear flashes through his whole body, his mind blanks in horror. To the right of the altar of incense stands, impossibly, an angel of the Lord. This season is about peace. Because seven centuries before these events took place, there was a prophet named Isaiah who famously prophesied of a coming day. For to us a child is born, he wrote. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word for peace, of course, is shalom. So Isaiah informed us that the Prince of Shalom was on his way. Except at the time Isaiah was writing, things were anything but peaceful. The Israelites were in the middle of a civil war while also being attacked on all sides and pulled off into exile. And then, to top it all off, God went silent for 400 years. That's a long time. Remember, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for around the same amount of time. And by the end of it, most of them didn't even want to be free anymore. I mean, the whole wandering in the wilderness narrative is in large part about them shaking off the slavery mindset and stepping into the new. So the promise of peace was all but forgotten. I mean, we can assume that the majority of the people in Israel during Zechariah's day felt the same way about God. They just sort of assumed that time was over. God's dead. After all, it had been 400 years. 
People like Zachariah taking God seriously were probably few and far between. Things looked grim. But if we learn anything from the dark night, we know the night is always darkest just before the dawn. Everything is about to change. His mouth moves, shaping the words that would not come. He tries several times. He can feel the shapes of the words on his lips. Time in the temple twists and loops around him, stretching out into eternity. Do not be afraid. The voice is rich and warm and, at the same time, grim and terrible. Numberless trumpets resonating across a valley before a battle. Yet the words comfort Zechariah. As soon as he hears them, the fear leaves his body. The sinews of his old frame melt as a frost before a winter morning sun. Matthew and Luke record the Christmas story for us, and one of the key ingredients in the story is visitations from angels. It happens four times. Each visitation is massively important to the story, and each message builds on the last one. Line all four up side by side, and we'll see and understand the secret to experiencing true peace. The peace, the Prince of Peace came to bring. So each of our four episodes focuses on one of the encounters. Starting here with Zachariah in the temple. What's the key takeaway from this one? Well, think about what just happened. By the way, you'll see the same pattern play out four times as we go. A human is going throughout their day. The divine breaks in and interrupts, and their knee-jerk reaction is to be terrified. We can all understand this at some deep level, right? Ever since Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together and hid in the garden, humans have had a deep-seated belief that God is angry and is looking to punish. Which is an important thing to call out for our purposes because it's awfully hard to experience true peace when we believe that the all-knowing creator of the universe is up in heaven watching like an angry parent just waiting for us to mess up so he can come punish us. But here's the beautiful truth we discover in the Christmas story. Every time an angel appears, the human is terrified. But each time, the first words the angel says is, do not be afraid. Every time. I'll keep pointing it out as we go because it's impossible to overmake this point. We don't have to be afraid. Do you want to experience true peace? Great. Here's the starting point. You have to know God is ready to break into your story. And don't worry, you don't have to be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. Zechariah is lost in the beauty of the voice. He can't even register the words. What is this messenger saying? He shakes his head and tries to focus. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Call him John. Slowly, Zechariah wakes up to the meaning. Wait, wait, he knows me? How? And how does he know my wife's name? How does he know such private desires? The prayers uttered in desperate hope each night before sleep. Zechariah and Elizabeth had always wanted children. Rarely did they mention it to anyone. They felt that they had been called to serve the Lord instead. But in the silent moments, 
They shared an ache for a child and had always prayed fervently for it. The voice continues, He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be set apart for he has a very important job. Zechariah is stunned. He cannot understand. Great in the sight of the Lord? What does that mean? The Lord is coming, Zechariah. Your son, John, will prepare the way. He will go before the Lord and turn the hearts of the people for the truth of Yahweh. The world stops. Time stops. Zechariah can barely fill his lungs with air. All of his life collapses into this moment. All the years of service and prayer and devotion and love and fear and anger and joy and desperation collide inside him. He cannot think. He cannot move. How can this be possible? How can this be happening? How can you be sure? Zechariah is shocked at the sound of the words. His inner thought distilled into what it truly was, doubt. He said them before he realized he was speaking. The angel falls silent and becomes far more dreadful than when speaking. Zechariah knows the angel is looking at him. He can feel the burning in his soul. Not painful, but not painless either. It's as if the darkness of his humanity is being illuminated. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to tell you this good news. But because you did not believe my words, you will not be able to speak until what has been promised has come to pass. Zechariah begins to form words to answer him, to explain, you will be silent. We are and always have been fascinated with the idea of the divine entering into our reality. Over the centuries, there have been several accounts of it happening. And when it does, or when people think it does, it usually looks like people posting all about it or creating a way to charge money for people to come see the site or whatever. But what's interesting about this story is it looks nothing like that. Instead, it looks like silence. Stay with me now. After 400 years of not hearing from God, an angel of the Lord meets a man named Zechariah in the temple with an absurd message, not just for him and his wife, but for all of Israel. And then Zechariah loses his ability to talk. What? Like, don't we need to go get the word out and shout it from the rooftops? Well, yeah, okay, sure, that's coming. But first... We have to learn how to be silent. It's always interesting when someone gets heated and worked up about something they just learned last week. It took them several decades to realize it, and now out of nowhere, they're frustrated that the rest of the world can't see something that they couldn't see for years either. But I love this moment because one of the most significant God encounters in the history of the world just happened. And it's followed up with a long, period of silence. Almost as if God is saying, take a breath. Don't be in such a hurry to share the things you are learning. Sit in it. Wait. Listen. It's okay. Zechariah stumbles back to the outer temple. The other priests stare in wonder and distress. 
The smoke doesn't swirl. The smell is absent. The incense sacrifice has not happened. God will be angry. The men all stare at Zechariah. Zechariah stares back in a trance. He opens his mouth to speak. Like before, the words fail to escape the vault of his body. The lips form the shapes, but the sound does not follow. His eyes widen anxiously, trying to explain. He gestures wildly, but in vain. No one can understand him. He runs up to others and grabs them by the shoulders, staring at them profoundly. They begin to turn away in shame and anger. Zechariah sinks to his knees and begins to weep. It is too much to have witnessed such terrible beauty, to have prayers answered and not to be able to share them, to be denied the pleasure of telling others. The sun begins to warm the temple. Zechariah knows he cannot stay here today. He has failed. He gradually stands, his old body unfolding beneath his robes. He crosses the courtyard and takes the long walk home to try to tell his wife all that had happened. So what happened that fateful night in Bethlehem? Well, let's think about the first piece of our story. A man who is very old and whose wife is well advanced in years have longed to have a child of their own, but as of yet, they haven't been able to until God intervenes. Now, does that sound familiar to anyone? Yeah, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, I'm guessing you at least got to the story of Abraham and Sarah. God speaks to Abraham one night under the stars and tells him his descendants will be more than the stars in the sky, which is comical to them because in their mind they are too old for that. But it happens. They have a son named Isaac who marries Rebekah and has twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob goes on to have 12 sons and his name is changed to Israel. And then those 12 sons are eventually the 12 tribes of Israel and the rest is history. Luke starts off the Christmas story with an Easter egg. This story is intended to get us thinking because last time we saw this, God broke into our conscious awareness and things have never been the same. Intent. Luke is smiling at us here because it's about to happen again. God just broke into our conscious awareness with a similar message and then us readers are left to ponder what this new giant change could be. And that is how the Christmas story begins. So what happened that fateful night in Bethlehem? Well, we're getting there. This is just the first piece of the puzzle. Our first encounter with an angel taught us not to be afraid of what God is up to. But we need to keep going. In order to understand the Prince of Peace, we need to travel north to a little town in Galilee called Nazareth because an unsuspecting teenager is about to receive a life-altering message. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. To find out more about the project, visit our website, storiesinscripture.com, follow us on Instagram at storiesinscripture, or on Twitter at SIS Project. And please rate and review us on iTunes.